name is Jared Manning. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Grace Bible Church. I get to help lead worship um, with with the music team, and it's a blessing for me to get to preach um, once a month or so. Uh, if you would be praying for Brian, our teaching pastor. He's gone to South Carolina this week, um, spoke at a wild game dinner last night, um, so probably ate better than me. Um, and uh, and uh, hey, there was a youth dinner last night. They're all offended. Um, no, it was delicious. It was delicious. Um, but, uh, and he's speaking seven times in five days. So uh, you can pray for him. They're, they're starting a conference um, today that he'll be speaking at as well. So um, be in prayer for Brian as he's gone and for his travel on his way back. Um, last night we had the opportunity. The students served their parents at Parent Night Out and parents in our church. Um, we hosted that over at True to Life Ministries in their building. Um, it was a great night. We had a really good time. The food was delicious. Our students did a great job. And um, Okay, yes. Um, our students did a great job. We were so proud of them. We were talking about it afterwards, how they all jumped in to help, and we didn't have to drag people and make them help, but they were all looking for a new job, and so that was a, a huge blessing. So the next time we do that, don't miss it. Uh, mark your calendars uh, and, and come and take part in that. We had a great evening together. Um, over the last uh, year or so, I, I was preaching a series um, on, on the king is coming is actually what it was called. Just about what it looks like to live life now in light of the fact that Christ is going to return and set up his kingdom here. Um, I am through with that series and I'm beginning a new series today um, called Community. Um, and today we're, we're going to talk about community as God's will for the church. That is God's will for us as his people. Um, so that's kind of where we're going. And we're going to talk about over the next few months um, community and different aspects of our lives. But today we're going to get an overview um, of that. Just north of San Francisco in California stands a forest of trees called Muir Woods. Um, now imagine you went and visited this forest of sequoia trees. Maybe you have been there. Um, some of them stand as high as 300 feet and range between 500 and 1200 years of age. The trees are enough to inspire awe as you stand at their base. But as you stand, you begin to wonder what has allowed these trees to stand for so long? What has given these trees the ability to weather years of storms and natural disasters? And as most would, we would begin to think and contemplate on how deep the roots of these trees go. They must be buried deep into the earth to hold such a massive tree for such a long period of time. But, in fact, the roots of a sequoia tree only go about four feet deep. They're actually some of the most shallow roots of any tree that grows. However, the sequoia tree never grows alone. It only grows in a grove. And their roots, while only going four feet deep, they grow together and intertwine with the trees that grow around them. 
They stay strong because their roots are holding on to the trees around them. God has created these monstrous trees to grow and hold fast in community. They only grow in community. The sequoia tree is not the only thing that grows and thrives in community. But the people that God has made do as well. We only grow and we only thrive when we live in community. Now in American society, we believe in independence. If you've ever been on the highway in Houston during rush hour, you may lose your sanctification, but that's another issue altogether. If you ever drive on the highway in Houston during rush hour, you'll notice a lot of cars. And there's one lane on many of the highways in Houston called the HOV lane for high occupancy vehicles. And most of the time that lane is pretty empty. And do you know how many people have to be in a car to be determined as a high occupancy vehicle? Two. Two. That is considered high occupancy. Two. The McKenzie's would argue that is not high occupancy. <laughs> yes, they always get to use that lane. Two people. That says something about American society. When you look at a highway that is full of cars, bumper to bumper traffic, nobody's in the lane with just two people in the car. But there's one person in every car on the road. We like independence. We don't want to ride with somebody else because that makes us dependent on where they're going or what they have to do. We want to drive our own car. We like our independence. We talk about it as something to be desired. We want to raise kids that are independent. That at 18 years old will either leave the house to go to college or will leave the house and get a job. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we, we push for independence. And when we fall on hard times or even if we fail, we pride ourselves in pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. And getting it done on our own. However, in most of the underdeveloped world, you will find a very different scene. You can walk to any number of villages in Africa or South America and find people who do everything in community. They raise their children in their tribes. They hunt and gather together. They eat as a village. They hold ceremonies Together, See, those people haven't been educated and taught to do it a different way. They're operating on what they know they should do within themselves. There's something that's evident to them that this is how we are meant to live in a community. And if we're honest with ourselves, we would see the same desire in our own hearts. A longing to belong to a community. A need to be loved. A need to be encouraged. A need to be challenged and accepted even by others. We want community. That's why Facebook has grown tremendously over the last few years. Because 
Even people that sit at home on a computer want community. They want a relationship with other people. So over the next few months, I want to dive into this topic of community. I think all too often we give lip service to the idea of community. We talk about it in a positive light and pursue it on some kind of surface level. But what if we're missing it? What if God meant for community to be something way more than we're making it? You see, living in community is not just a suggestion in Scripture. It's not just something else that we do in our week. Well, I do community when I go to my life group meeting. That's my community for the week. It's not just something we put on our calendar as another thing to do. Instead, I would argue today it is God's will for the church to live in community. And it's God's will for the world. Today I want to lay a foundation for why we must strive together as a church for community. By looking at community through the lens of the redemption story. Beginning in Genesis 1, we see the foundation laid for community. And we begin where everything must always begin. And that is with God himself. Let's pray and we will jump in. Father, as we look at this um, important theme that runs through Scripture, as we look at your commands for us to live in community with one another, in biblical community together, Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts, that you would draw our minds, our desires, and our affections for our brothers and sisters in this room, that we would desire to live in community together Father, knowing that it is your ultimate aim and your goal for us to live in community with you for all of eternity. So help me now as I speak. Let your word penetrate hearts and minds. And may we leave different than we came this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. First, we want to look at community in the Godhead. Community in the Godhead. There's a reason that community is woven into the fabric of humanity. And it's because community begins with God. We as an evangelical Christian church believe that God is Trinity. Another word for saying that, that God is one in three persons. Or three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All God existing for all eternity past and into all eternity future. We serve a God who is triune. The God we worship, the creator of all that exists, was, is, and will always be community. While the word Trinity is never mentioned in the scripture, it's the word that the Orthodox Christian Church gives to the understanding that God has eternally existed as three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see this first show up in Genesis 1.26. So that's where we're going to begin this morning. If you have a paper copy of the Bible, open it up. 
If you have another copy, turn it on, and we will be looking at Genesis 1.26. We're going to be in a few different places today. If, um, if you're a regular attender here or member, you know that we normally walk through a book of the Bible. Brian is walking us through Acts. Um, and, and that is what we hold to, an expositional style of teaching and believe is the best way to communicate God's word. Um, when I preach, it's a little harder doing once a month to be walking through a book because that, by the time I preach again, you're going to forget what I said a month ago. And, uh, and so doing review every month gets a little monotonous. And so I've taken some topics that we would like to cover with you as a church body. And so we kind of skip through scriptures and, and look at different scriptures as they pertain to whatever topic we're looking at. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. So have your fingers ready. We're going to be doing some flipping this morning um, or get your scrolling finger ready if you're on a device. All right. Genesis 1, 26. God is creating the world. He's in the process of speaking things into being. And in verse 26, he says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What's very interesting about this verse is previously, every time he has created something, he has said simply, let there be. And there was. Let there be light and there was light. He just says, let there be, and it happens. But here, as he comes to make man, in verse 26, the wording changes. In verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. It's not a simply let there be man. It's not simply let there be human beings. But rather, he says, let us make man in our image God is having a conversation with someone. I mean, some have argued that God is talking to the angelic hosts. But it would be odd for God to be telling the angels he's gonna, they were going to help him make man in their image. Um, the angels don't share the image of God. So, so what most scholars and Orthodox Christians believe is that here God is having, having a conversation with himself in the triune Godhead. He, the Son, the Holy Spirit are saying we are going to make man in our image after our likeness. And then he gives them dominion over fish and sea, birds of the heavens, over livestock and over all the creeping things on the earth. God creates man in his image. He refers to himself in the plural, in community. Skip over a couple of chapters in Genesis 3, verse 22. Genesis 3, 22. If you're there, say, uh-huh. All right. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, in knowing good and evil. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. He again refers to himself in the plural. And then in Genesis eleven seven, they've built the Tower of Babel, or Babel, depending on where you're from. Um, 
And God says this in Genesis 11:7, "Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech. Come, let us go down." Again, referring to himself in the plural. God has existed in community for all time. For all of eternity, God, as the triune Godhead, has been in community with himself. Isaiah 6, 8 mentions this. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. Ephesians 4, Revelation 1. We see over and over again the scriptures affirm that God is community. And he was perfectly happy in the fellowship of himself. He needed nothing. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were perfectly content within the Godhead. He existed in community. So our foundation is there. Community has been from eternity past in the Godhead. But we also see here in Genesis 1 that community is in the creation. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And he's very specific in that verse in talking about the communal Godhead. Let us make man in our image. And so therefore, if we are to be made in the image of God, it would involve community. We can dispel the myth that God created us because he was lonely. God was in community with himself. He enjoyed community with himself for all eternity. He didn't make human beings because he was lonely and needed a friend. He doesn't save us because he's lonely and needs a friend. He's not desperate. He needs nothing from us. Rather, he created us out of his own overflowing joy in being God. He creates us in his image. As we look at this creation narrative, God creates something over and over and calls it good. As we go back through Genesis 1 and 2, we see God create something. And at the end of that day or thing that he's created, he says, and it was good. But what's interesting is he creates man. In Genesis 2 verse 18, for the first time, God says something is not good. Genesis 2 verse 18, he says for the first time that something is not good. He created it, and then he says it's not good. Look what that is. Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The first thing God notices about his creation of man is that it's not good that he's alone. Because God has been in community from all eternity. If we are to reflect God's image and the creation, we too must exist in community. It is not good that man be alone. Notice what he did not say. He did not say it is not good for man to be single. (laughs) He's not talking just about the marriage covenant in this verse. Now that is a part of it. He goes on to say he creates a helper fit for him and he talks about creating the woman for him. But he doesn't just say it is not good that man be single. Because as we'll see in the New Testament, Paul says, hey, it's good for a man to be single. 
If, he, if he's not burning with passion inside of himself, then it's good that he remains single. He can serve the Lord more freely. And so what God is not saying here is that it's bad for you to be single. He's saying it is not good for you to be alone. This is because we are created in the image of God. And for us to exist and bear the image of God, we need to exist in community. Not only must we be in community with one another, he creates more humanity for that, right? He creates Eve and tells them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and you're going to have lots of community. But we're to be in community with God himself. Until community was broken. Genesis 3. We'll enter Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now look where the serpent attacks in Genesis 3. You can't trust him. You can't trust him. He begins by breaking down the fellowship in the community that Eve has with God by turning her against God and saying, you can't trust him. Satan does the same thing to us today. He's constantly looking at how he can whisper in your ear and say, you can't trust her. You can't trust him. You can't tell them that struggle. They'll go tell everybody. Your secret will come to light. The thing that you struggle with, it'll come to light. You can't trust them with that, Satan has been destroying community since the very beginning. Verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, moron, and he ate. <laughs> standing right there, had received the command from God. And he's like, oh, okay, honey, I'll eat it. The community is broken. The eyes of both of them were open. Verse 7, they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The perfect community and fellowship they had enjoyed is now broken and marred by sin. Ed Stetzer and Eric Geiger in their book Transformational Groups writes this, The failure of Adam and Eve, their sin with its incredible consequences, was the result of a failure to live in community with God and each other. Adam and Eve's failure to live in community was seen in their first response to sin. A colossal cover-up. Hiding themselves from each other with the fig leaves and hiding themselves from God among the trees of the garden. In verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They first hide themselves by sewing fig leaves together and covering. 
And then they hide from God among the trees of the garden. By hiding, they lost what they needed most. By hiding, they lost what they needed most. What they needed most was love, restoration, and grace. But instead of running to the light and running to fellowship with God, they hid from it. So they received none of those things. Rather, they received a curse. Our sin drives us to hide from community. We don't want to have deep conversations with other people when we are in sin. But it's what we need most. What we need most is for the sin to come into the light. We need to confess to one another. We need to repent. We need grace given from one another. So that we're reminded of the gospel and the grace that we've received in Christ Jesus. So often we fall into the same sin that Adam and Eve fell into. They ran and they hid from community and fellowship with God. Our sin drives us to hide from community. But, God, but, but the story doesn't end there. Community is central to the plan of God. Just because it's broken here in Genesis 3, God is not going to give up on restoring community. Because it's central to His plan for humanity. And ultimately it's for His glory. And so He never gives up on displaying His glory. So He sets into motion His plan to redeem the broken community. In Genesis 3 verse 15, we see the promise of the Messiah. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We get the promise of the Messiah, the serpent crushing God who will come and destroy Satan and restore community. So, so far we've seen community in the Godhead, community in creation. Community is broken. But now we will see that community is redeemed. God begins in Genesis 12 when he calls out Abram. In Genesis 12, God calls out a man just because he wants to. Let's not miss that. There was nothing that Abraham had done to find favor with God. It was, it was not as though Abraham was some good person and God was like, you know what? I'm going to make a great nation of him. He's stellar. He keeps rules. He has great morals. I like this guy. No, verse 12, he, he just calls him out. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now if you know anything about Abram's history, he actually lives in a house of idol makers. Like they make false gods for people to worship. That's what his family business is. So not a good man. In fact, turning many men away from the true God. Now the Lord said, Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Again, another promise of the coming Messiah. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And took his nephew Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from his hometown. And he took his wife with him. So God calls out Abraham and says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abraham's like, sounds good to me. Let's go. So Abram leaves everything that he knows. He takes his wife and his nephew with him. And they follow God as he creates this nation of Israel. And God begins his work to redeem community once again. He creates this nation and gives them laws through Moses to keep them together. So that, ultimately, true community could come in Christ. We learn in Galatians that the nation of Israel is solely in existence for the purpose of giving birth to the Messiah. He gives them the law to keep them together, to keep them set apart, to keep them holy, so that Jesus can come through them. And so God gives us this early picture of community in Israel. But it was imperfect. It wasn't complete. It wasn't full. Until Jesus comes. And in Jesus, God builds a new and better community. He builds his church. We're going to turn to the New Testament. Go with me to Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. And Jesus God would build a new house, a better house. If you're there, say, uh-huh. All right. So then, Ephesians 2, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This new house that he is building where Jesus is the cornerstone is the house that God dwells in. God no longer dwells in tabernacles made by man as access. He doesn't dwell in things made by our hands, but God now resides in the hearts and the lives of those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We are the household of God. Making us a more perfect community, a better house. At the cross, Christ died and shed his blood to unite people from every nation, tribe, and language into one house, into one body. And he is redeeming community. As related believers, we are no longer unknown, independent people who are disassociated with one another and with God. Rather, we are neighbors 
with other believers. And we are rightfully members of the household of God with Christ as our cornerstone. We have been made a people. Your salvation is not for you. Your salvation is for God and the house that he is building. You are redeemed into a community of people. Your salvation is about us. We are called out as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. As 1 Peter 2, 9 tells us. Over and over again in the New Testament, all the apostles write and they speak to the church as community. They don't write to individuals. It was really interesting. Um, last year... I read an article by um, David Prince, who is a professor at Southern Seminary in Kentucky. And the article was actually um, defending and calling for the regular use of the word y'all. And he's not Texan, just FYI. Um, it, he was calling for the regular use of the word y'all because when we dropped Old English in our vernacular, we lost a singular you and a plural you. Because for us, you can be either. In the Old English, thou was singular, you was plural. And we lost that singular version. And so when you're reading your English Bible, you never know when the plural you is being used and when the singular you is being used because it's the same word. And so David was calling for us to have a y'all translation. <laughs> Let's change all of the plural yous in the New Testament to y'all. And then we'll know when there's a plural you. And so someone online obliged him and created the y'all version. And they read the original Greek and everywhere there was a plural you, they plugged in y'all. And so I, I pulled that version up and began to read the epistles of Paul. And let me tell you, y'all is used way more than you. Because Paul mainly writes to community. God speaks to his people, his called out ones as a group. He doesn't always speak to us individually. And it will change the way you read the scriptures when you see where he is talking to everyone, to the community as a whole. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a community that God is building. And one day the community will be finally and fully restored when Christ returns and reigns. And he is our God and we are his people. Christ, listen to me, Christ is not returning for individuals. Christ is returning for his bride, the church, a people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. He's not returning for you individually. He is coming to get his bride. And his bride is a called out people. The last book in the Bible, it's placed there for a reason. It tells us how all of this is going to end. 
We get a snapshot of the future. One of which we should constantly remind ourselves. We need to store it on our proverbial computers and phones and tape it on our refrigerators so we see it every morning. We should never forget we all end up in community with God for eternity. Revelation 21. Turn with me there. We'll begin in verse 3. Revelation 21. John writes, saw the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on this throne or said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We will exist with God in community forever. Did you catch that? God's eternal dwelling is with humanity, as in men and women, not man. Them, not me. People, not a person. We end up in eternal community dwelling with God and with all of humankind who is trusted in Christ. How incredible will that be? Not very if you don't love the church. If you can't stand them now, how's it going to be in eternity? All eternity with these people. Although you can argue the gathering will be large, you're missing the point. In that day, we will all be able to relate perfectly to one another and to God. The size of this gathering only reveals we are not alone. We are not alone. Community began in eternity past. Actually had no beginning. It was in God from eternity past. He created it in us. So we bear his image. It was broken at the fall when Adam and Eve rejected community with God and with each other. Community has been redeemed in Christ. He is building a new house. His bride, the church. And eventually he will restore community in this world. As the people of God dwell with him for eternity as a people. So the question is, if, if God seems to have as one of the central themes of redemption, this idea of community, what, what are we doing trying to live on our own? What are we doing trying to fix our own sin problems without bringing brothers and sisters in Christ on this journey with us, confessing our sin to one another, extending grace to one another, loving one another. If God is about community, then why do we seem to live every day alone? Our purpose is to be a body, is to be a community, 
is to love one another. And listen, community doesn't happen on just Sunday morning. It's a great part of community. And we'll talk about that, community and worship, what that looks like. But for community to happen, you have to see somebody more than once a week. So I challenge you to consider how you might be living in community already or how you may not be living in community. And I would challenge you to take steps toward community. Ask somebody to lunch. Take people to breakfast. Spend some time in one another's homes. Be here together as much as you're allowed, as God would will, that, that you would be here together. This is God's will for the church. This is God's will for humanity, that we would live in community with one another. I pray that it would be so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have been created in your image. God, we thank you that while our father Adam rejected community with you, God, that you have sent Christ, the true and better Adam, to restore, to redeem community in our world today. God, I pray that we would put on display community, that people would see the family that we have here, the family unit at Grace Bible Church, that lost people would see that and say, that's what I'm missing. I don't have community that I so desire. And Father, that they would see that this is what they were meant for. That they would find hope and restoration in the cross. That they would be joined together with the community that you are building, the household of faith, with Jesus as our cornerstone. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we continue to worship this morning?